Thanks. Good afternoon. My name is Abdullah Varacha. I'm a member of faculty here at Gibbs. And on behalf of the Entrepreneurship Development Academy here at Gibbs and JP Morgan, it gives me great pleasure to welcome you to this LinkedIn Live session. Uh, as, as you know, for those of you who've been following the series, we've had a number of different interactions over the last six weeks uh, in the series titled Small Business Survival Strategies, uh, obviously as a result of COVID-19. Uh, today's session is particularly interesting and a session that builds on from uh, the session that we've had uh, two weeks ago with uh, Adrian Saville and also the session that we had uh, four weeks ago with Karin Deshen. And if you recall, both of them spoke about how businesses in a COVID-19 type of context have had to pivot, have had to really think about their business model. And so I thought it interesting today to invite a colleague of mine, Dr. Manoj Chiba, who I'll introduce to you shortly, to really talk to us about how do we pivot? And how do we think about innovation and design thinking? Because there's never been a more important time to be able to think about innovation than the current context. Yes, we've got a huge amount of complexity and uncertainty, uh, a number of challenges that businesses face in the short term. But one of the ways in which we see businesses responding is really to play an offensive game, is to go out and think about can we reimagine the business model or reimagine how we deliver value. And so the format of the session is we will have uh, a 20-minute interaction with Dr. Chiba, after which we'll have an interactive discussion with him. And I'm going to invite you into that discussion. So you'll see at the bottom uh, of this video is a chat column. Please feel free to put any questions, any comments, uh, any views from your perspective. Uh, about three weeks ago, um, uh, Tracy McDonald Publishers asked me to contribute to a book that she's put together called The Book That Every Business Owner Must Read. And it's a group of 48 different authors. And so I said to the Entrepreneurship Development Academy that um, we, we decided that we're going to give a copy of this book to the person who asks the most interesting question. So I'm going to ask that you think about the questions and really related to today's session. So without much further ado, I'd like to thank you, Manoj, for coming through, uh, for spending some time with us. It's great to see you on campus. Dr. Manoj Shiba is a very dear friend of mine. He's a colleague. He's, member, he's a member of the full-time faculty here at Gibbs. But he's also very active in the business environment where he consults quite widely in this area of innovation, uh, data analytics, uh, and really quite a thought leader and thinker in terms of the area of technology and data science. Uh, Manoj teaches in this area, he publishes extensively in this area, but also consults quite widely in this area here. And so Manoj, it's a pleasure to have you with us and look forward to the interaction. Thank you. Thanks, Abdullah. Um, just before we before I get into it, uh, I hope it's an interesting question and not the most difficult question that we're asking people because I think, uh, you know, in these interactions, it's 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 always nice to get that. But just without me going into too much detail, briefly, what I'll cover today is pivoting what we know. It's it's important to recognize that many truly South African businesses, small even entrepreneurs, small small businesses, have pivoted very successfully. And I'm going to give you some examples of those. Um, but I think also just to cover what is the market and en environmental shift that we've seen, which is important. And then a point which I think you've covered on the series, which is going back to basics. Going back to basics of the financials, every business is built on solid fi uh, financials and understanding those. Finally, we'll get into some innovation and design thinking. Where I'm going to leave you with two frameworks, which I have found personally, number one, very useful. And number two, people that have used it, useful as well. And then finally, just some conclusion for trends of success. So without further ado, let me get into this here. What we know from an introduction perspective, pivoting. We've seen this. We've seen a great South African story, Tepo Jeans as an example, 
that has moved from designer genes into what we're calling the gene masks or genes masks. Really doubling down on, the, on, 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 on his core competence, which is the same resources that he's always had, genes, and now developing a new product. Second one, high-end limited edition handbags to face masks again. And I know it seems like I'm talking about face masks, which are the obvious ones to pivot to. But look at the second one here. From Asia, speaking to doctors there, and then creating existing resources from leftover bags to, to face masks. So the material is the same. So reusing what would ordinarily be wastage. Third one, which I think is fascinating for me, is the art gallery. From an art gallery, which is technically all offline stuff, right? It's offline to affordable art now, where we used to think of art in a gallery as high-end stuff, it's now affordable to everyone. So really getting to the brand out more, um, ensuring a greater income for the artists, and then also educating the general public on how to view the world of color. So this was a, a business that moved completely from offline onto the online space. Another one, a private chef to virtual cooking classes. I mean, I would personally love this here, but really about healthy food with the ingredients in your house. What's common here with these first four examples is how do you use the critical or the resources that you have available? Nothing new, what you have available. The next one, online businesses with food processing to delivering fruit and veg, boxes essentially. Getting suppliers from small local farmers. Can you see the ecosystem that gets created here now, Abdullah? Which is really important. So it helps the local farmers here leveraging online businesses and know-how on food processing to be suppliers and then deliver. So because you understand it, you understand what the processing is of the food, it's important. And the last point here, which I think is a very fascinating one for me because it's, it's a slight pivot with a huge upside. Uh, MyFlexGym.com, which was really just about, you know, how do I find an open slot at a gym to be able to go and say, I'd like a slot with, at a karate studio as an example, between one and two, and karate studios could then advertise open slots. And they've pivoted now to what's something called findatable.co.za. As restaurants open up now, you know, to find a place because of social distancing and all the, the, the regulation around it, where can I go pre-screening yourself and then serving almost as a document storage at the back end for the restaurant owner. Therefore, taking the administrative burden away, but also saying to you and me as an example, we want to find a restaurant, where can we find a table? So I think good examples of really pivoting in the local context specifically. But the first thing that we must understand, Abdullah, is that we must acknowledge the market and environmental shift. The environment has fundamentally changed. So the operating environment has changed fun uh, fundamentally for both businesses, small businesses, big businesses, medium businesses, but also for us as consumers. And that's really important to acknowledge upfront, right? And we must start avoiding buzz phrases. You and I have had many discussions over this year. The new normal. <laughs> what is the new normal, right? Uh, and then we all fell on this whole thing about, listen, uh, you know, it's, it's a misconception that it takes 21 days to form a new habit. It actually is anywhere between, let's call it, 18 to 254 days. So can we say in this period that we've been under lockdown and as we start easing out, as we see other countries in the world easing out of it, is that period long enough to have created a fundamental behavioral shift? So before we, we hide and couch behind buzzwords such as the new normal, let's understand what it really means as well. So just be careful about that. But there is something that we must acknowledge, and it's uncertainty. Is that during and post-COVID, we know that, you know, we only know what we know. There's nothing else we can do. The decisions you make now will have an impact on the future of your business. So you can only focus on what's on the table right now. And finally here, 
the businesses you serve, you must acknowledge this, is that the demand for products and services, if they're not core and central to individuals and businesses, are really going to fall by the wayside now. Uh, it, demand will be muted to a large extent and businesses you are and may have been serving are doubling down with good reason. So there's no flying projects going on, which really means similarly that your consumers you serve, think of yourselves personally. I've learned about a lot that I can do without, right? And I think that's important to understand now. So our circumstances have changed for the most part. Regardless, and I think we must acknowledge this, the environment and the market within which you operate has changed either temporarily or permanently, but none of us can give you that answer right now. So we are dealing with uncertainty to a large extent. I'm briefly going to take you back to basics quickly because I think it's important when we talk about innovation and design that we get our foundations right. And the first foundation in terms of getting back to basics is, is really about the finances, right? The basics for any businesses are your financials and that must be acknowledged. Before we even get into innovation and design thinking, you need a diagnostic assessment before any decisions can be take, taken. And so when we talk about this here, I want us not to be optimistic. I don't want us to be pessimistic either. I want us to be realistic. Because a lot of what I find is, I'm sure the, it will change when. Let's be realistic about what we are dealing with right now. Four critical financial metrics, I personally believe, uh, with small businesses that I've spoken to and my own business specifically that we should be focusing on, is number one, expenses. Let's look at our fixed and our variable expenses, but I often see that people forget about seasonal expenses, okay? Your domain registration costs for your website, as an example. I'm not saying get rid of your website in an online world, but just remember those are seasonal, okay? That's the first one. The second one is revenue. I think we must be clear. You should know this. What is the right price for your product or service? But what will this look like moving forward? And if we think about your revenue streams, is it now time to start changing how you charge for your product or service? A fundamental shift in the business model. Profitability, we all know that, revenue minus costs. How has this changed? How might this change as well, okay? If you're still operating as, you know, as it was and at a sustainable margin for demand and your costs, what about your costs? What's happening with them? Are they inflating or not? And finally, which I think is the most critical one, is cash flow management. Cash flow management is, is just a, a no-brainer for me for a small business and somewhere where all small business owners really need to start focusing on. And the first question I ask now, unfortunately, is where can I cut costs? Let's look at those fixed variable and seasonal costs that we can look at. Have I spoken to my key stakeholders? How will this affect them, if at any way? And finally, are there any funding opportunities? And I know there are multiple funding opportunities in the South African context, and we've got to go through those, but what are those funding opportunities that do exist possibly out there? Again, please don't be optimistic, don't be pessimistic, do be realistic about these things, okay? And I think that's important. So let's get into the crux of this, Abdullah. Once you've got your basics right, understand people have done it, we can learn a lot. So let's understand this from an innovation and design thinking, which is really just a process. Firstly, I want to start off, and you'll know me by now, is I always start off with the basic definition of anything. Because I think it's critical for us not to be caught up in what I believe, what anyone else believes, but let's create a common ground. So innovation can be defined in many different ways here. And I argue that it's, it's in a changed environment and market, innovation's about using what you have differently to solve problems faced by your business as well as by your consumer. I hear the big word of a platform business which connects you know, consumers and producers together. This is where you're sitting right now specifically. So what does this mean? 
innovating means you need to use your ingredients. You'll know I love food. <laughs> so how do you mix different ingredients together to come up with a new recipe? What is the recipe for success into the future in the new and in different ways? We solve problems and I think we must acknowledge this. Every human being, we solve problems when we're faced by them. When we can't face them, feel them, touch them, see them, we often they fall behind. But more so when our existence is threatened. And in this case, a small business's existence is threatened here. So I think those are just critical points. And then design thinking, you know, has always been central to the development of products and services. But now, Abdullah, it's even more pivotal. It really is pivotal now, okay, in innovating and reinventing your business. Uh, design thinking has really, you know, is a process focused basically on sol solving problems. That is, it's a solution-based approach. Let's just be clear of what it is. And so design thinking is really in a changed environment means your prior products or services may not serve those needs or possibly in the medium term. This has implications on the sustainability of your business. We know small businesses in the short term are really threatened at the moment. The changed environment coupled with sort of tighter regulations if we call them that for now means that your consumers, businesses and individuals that you may be serving will have changed. Let's be clear about that. Uh, to design products and solutions around this, this new normal and, and a constrained environment means you need to solve problems that matter to your consumer. I'm being very clear, these problems need to matter, okay, and that's important. To do this, we often say there's a five-step process, and I'm going to focus sort of on the first three, which is really empathize, define the problem, and explore all possible solutions here. And then using design thinking, the process allows for the identification of new opportunities, really new opportunities, and the development of new business models, which I think is going to be critical. Old products, new business models of delivery is going to be critical moving into the future now. And I just want us to all remember that innovation requires you to use your existing resources differently, very differently. So let's look at new opportunities and how do you really start getting into them here. New opportunities starts with your strengths and it's your strengths and your assets as an individual business owner. It's about you, your business and what you have. So we don't need more stuff. Let's use what we have. So what are your strengths is my first question that you must answer. Strengths come in different forms and we must all acknowledge this. They come in different shapes and can be thought of as assets. Number one, at a personal level, what knowledge and skills do you have? Critical. Do an audit of that. At a business level, what spaces and things do you have? Example, office space, vehicles. How can I use those assets differently during this time? And then at an abstract level, have I been able to build up a brand as an example? And how do I leverage that brand? At any level, what is not captured at the personal, business or abstract level, what you really need to know is your strengths that you have. That's all I'm asking for here. And this framework that I'm putting up here, framework A as I call it, is really about what do you enjoy doing. I'm not going to go through all the seven points around there, but it's really about the hard questions that you need to do. A lot of this takes some introspection as a business owner, but also a lot of reflection. And I think in times like this where we have to force ourselves to reflect because our existence is at stake here as well. So I've given you, you know, sort of seven points here around, centered around what do you really enjoy doing. And then you have got this here about empathize. And I think this is really important. You have acknowledged that the environment has changed and the market has changed as well. So what does this really mean? Now acknowledge that your consumers, individuals and businesses as an example, have experienced the exact same thing. We're not in isolation. The entire ecosystem has changed around this year. So acknowledge that some of these have changed by force 
COVID is not hereby by, by developed, it's forced us. Acknowledge that at the same time, people have had new experiences. Every person has had a new experience here. Acknowledge that individuals have reflected on what is important to them. And I think we must be clear about that. Everyone has now started cutting off a little bit of the fluff around their worlds personally. Acknowledge that the business has, uh, businesses have shifted their focus as well back to their core competencies and what is their core focus, not fleeting projects any longer. And acknowledge that hum uh, individuals and businesses don't have the spending power like before. You know, yesterday I saw that our, you know, the GDP in South Africa has shrunk by 2%. That has huge implications. You know, we talked about it politically at some stage, South Africa's state, but economically, I think we're in trouble now. And I think we must acknowledge that. That, that economic problem that we have now affects consumers as well. And doesn't only affect consumers at an individual level, consumers even at a business level. So don't forget the businesses as well. So that's important. So empathize, empathize really means for me dropping your assumptions and getting to the mind of the consumer. I often get asked, how do you do that? The answer is quite simple, ask. Okay? If you don't ask, you'll never know. right? And not all consumers will have the right answers, but you've got to ask. And then you've got to aggregate. As you said in the introduction, one of my big lenses is around data, data analytics. It's about evidence. Not what I think, but what does the data really show me? And then I put up this framework B, which really starts now talking into, into what are those questions you need to ask. And there are four fundamental ones for me. Number one, what has changed? Okay, As an example, quite a simple example, I now work from home, predominantly. Behavior, how has this changed? In other words, as a personal example now, I can start ex exercising in the morning. I don't have to wait until the end of the day. I don't have to go drop the kids off as an example in the morning, but I save some time and gives me some time to do some exercise. But how do you support the behavior? What are your needs? Do you have what is needed to exercise, Manoj? I've got access to the internet, yes, but do I have the instruments that are needed? How can I start providing those? And therefore, as a business now, do you have the current capability or do you need to develop that capability to serve or support that behavior that has been changed or is changing at the moment? So I think it's really important that Framework A gives us an audit trail and understands diagnostically what we, what, what we have but framework B here really starts allowing us to understand what does the consumer want. And speak to as many individuals as you can. Often say, where do I find these people? There's lots of us on social media to really gain insights and responses. This gives you really a list of new behaviors and needs. And so this takes me on to defining the problem. Framework A and B give you an understanding of the assets you have and then the needs of individuals and businesses, your consumers. So what you need to do is simply, like we've always done this here from a brainstorming perspective, cluster similar ideas into groups and then define the problem. And I hate the word problem because problem has got a very negative connotation to it. And I really want us to open up our minds and say problem is also about the opportunities that may arise. So define the problem for each of these changes, behaviors and support for the behavior for each cluster. And then the four critical questions you must answer. What exact or precise need are you solving for? Be, be very clear and be very, very focused. What exact or precise change are you solving for? What exact or precise behavior are you solving for? And finally, what exact and precise support for behavior are you solving for? Please be clear about that. Don't try to do too much. Focus. I think it's time to what I call double down and focus now. So be unambiguous and note it simplistically. Be very simple in this year. And so these, these generally give us rise to what we call new opportunities here. 
So you've got to explore possible solutions now. For each of the needs of the problems that you've identified here, write down and solve for each need. You know, the aim here is really to generate as many ideas and not be constrained by anything. Be creative. Don't get too concerned of where you're going to get the resources from. You know, one of the most fascinating exercises I've seen done with many people is taking a, a, a small piece of, or a small set of Lego blocks and asking people to design a car out of it. They design a car and then with the same resources, same Lego blocks, the car turns into a duck. Fascinating. Break that mold. Okay? Involve as many individuals as you can or possible. Think crowdsourcing. Ideas very well. Crowdsourcing has been known for well, some time now and we know that we're there to help each other. And then group similar ideas together and then map them back and then cluster problems for the, from the previous step. Please don't be constrained. In other words, this is an open process for now. And then we've got to be selective. Choose 5 or 10% of the ideas that you've generated to focus on. Please don't focus on too many. Um, these ideas must be based, number one, on the assets that you have. Remember the framework A that I've given you. And then mapping back technically here is describe what job a specific cluster problem, recall the definition of the problem, is trying to get done here. Define the pain point. Be clear on what is the pain point you're solving here. And what are the negative experiences? Support for behavior, framework B. And define all the positive experiences you could bring with this new idea. And finally, describe how each solution or new solution that you would have selected in, from the ideas in the form of a product or a service, don't be constrained by either being a product or a service that you have and reduce the pain. And final selection here is criteria for choosing real needs, not luxuries, Abdullah. You know, I think right now it's becoming very pivotal. Let's solve real needs and let's leave the fluff on the side out for now specifically. More potential customers in means that you've got a bigger market size and those that you can put together quickly. This is about speed. Speed to market, speed to solving problems and quickly based on what, the, what resources you have. And then finally choose a revenue model. And I really want to say when we talk about choosing a revenue model, understand that most individuals and businesses have now become spend conscious, right? So can I flip my model for the product and service that I have? Can you leverage a subscri subscription-based model as an example? Can I use a consumption-based model as an example? It's for the first time I strongly believe that we are being forced to really look at our business models on how we help our customers consume our product or service. And that's becoming very central for me. So think of different ways to charge for your product or your service. And finally, some of the trends that we've seen for success here in conclusion, Abdullah, is I must reiterate some of the great success stories we've seen in South Africa. From designer jeans to jeans masks, same product, uh, same resources, new product. High in limited edition handbags to face masks. What was wastage at some stage now is becoming useful. Art gallery, only to affordable, uh, only affordable, uh, only high-end expensive artwork becomes affordable right now. And then we've got the private chef that takes us to virtual cooking classes. And then an online business, which is fascinating. I don't think I mentioned this upfront. An online business who's now become an offline business in delivery. Yeah. Fascinating, okay? And then myflexgym.com to restaurants in findingatable.co.za. But notice something, core competence here. So what are the common trends that we see for success? for each of the small businesses that have really been thriving in a changed market and environmental conditions, they solve a need. Be clear. Number two, they're all based on data or evidence. They've asked people, they've spoken to people, they've also experienced stuff. Number three, 
and they leverage their current skills and assets. Number four, they're all focused. Focus, focus, focus. They're focused on one or two aspects only, nothing more than that. And they all leverage existing, the existing ecosystem. We all exist in an ecosystem, and therefore we all have this out there. Number six, they've all pivoted. Abdullah, we have to pivot. If, if your existence as a business is in trouble right now, pivot. Pivot within the competencies that you have here. And therefore, I ask you to ask yourself four questions. Number one, I have a set of skills. How might I use them? Number two, there are needs. What are those needs? Number three, I have assets. How might I use my existing assets differently? And number four, I have a network. We all have an ecosystem, a network, and they're easy to access as well. How might I lev leverage this for what I may need and add value to the ecosystem and network? And I thank you for that, Abdullah. I think it's, 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 it's in a time that we have to pivot. No matter when we screen this or when we show this here, whether it's, you know, in the, in, the, in the heart of the COVID-19 pandemic or coming out of it, regardless of stage, the world and the market has changed. And we've got to acknowledge that as, as small businesses. Lovely, Manoj. I mean, that was fascinating just in terms of the very practical examples of the businesses that you've given and then the application in terms of core competencies and how do you pivot. I actually want to bring in a lot of uh, the questions that have come through from you. Uh, and Manoj, I'm going to bring in some of these questions really uh, linked and aligned to some of what you've covered. Serena Naidu asks the question that, you know, we've spoken quite extensively about pivoting, but does pivoting only come about in a time of crisis? And very importantly, she asks the question that sometimes pivoting doesn't work. It fails and it causes massive brand damage to the organization. So how do you mitigate that potential of a pivot failing and obviously having an impact in terms of sustainability or brand potential of the company? So I think, you know, Abdullah, I'm going to start off with the first part of this here where often what happens is that because we, we, we successful, and I put successful in, in, in quotation marks, is that we don't change, we don't innovate, right? And I think that that's something we're all guilty of. We get comfortable in our business models. Um, and so we, that hasn't really pushed the whole idea of how do we pivot. And do we only pivot now? I think it's because we're forced to pivot, we've pivoted now, okay? When we see people pivoting outside of an environment or an event that's happened, they become called disruptors. Okay, it's just a different tag that comes on here. Is there brand damage? If done incorrectly, they could be. And therefore, you'll notice through the design thinking process, this is an iterative process. Yeah. And then what happens is that I take it one step even further back, is go and understand what are the needs of the market. You are using the voice of the consumer at a business B2B or B2C level to be able to really react back to them and say, listen, this is what it is. And for me, that's critical, Abdullah, it's because brand is important, but if you deliver on your brand promise, leveraging your current assets and your competencies, the small pivots have a very small chance of failure. Yeah. And if they do fail, they haven't been pushed out too widely. And don't be scared of failure. You know, that's one of the words. I've got a great book at home that says, you know, the F word is for failure and we shouldn't use it. Because I believe that you'd rather kill bad ideas quickly <laughs> instead of failing fast forward. Yeah. Kill bad ideas quickly. That's important for me. 100%. Yeah. So one of the things you've also spoken about is crowdsourcing, right? Yeah. So often Kwapi asks the question, you know, that maybe we can implement design thinking within the small business, but how do we actually bring in our multiple stakeholders? Are there ways in which we can engage the stakeholder environment to bring them into how we practice uh, design thinking? 
So, you know, let, let's take it away from a technology place first. I think, uh, you know, the platforms exist out there and, and, and you can, if, if not, and you can't find them, I think you can create those, those ecosystems yourself. How do you bring people in? You know, this is, this is something you're asking of a lot of people, which is very valuable to everyone, which is time. You're asking people to give up time to come and really give some input. And so I often say that this doesn't ever start off big. It starts off really small and starts gaining momentum. It's like a snowball effect, right? And by just getting a few key people in and really continuing to push with it, I think what we often forget or fail to, to, to understand is when we're engaging stakeholders, not every stakeholder is up there, up front all the time. Mm. And even when we get all our stakeholders up, if there's no value for them, and let's be clear, if there's no value for them, what happens? They pull back. Yeah. So what we need to do is leverage these ecosystems, these platforms. There's lots of crowdsourcing platforms out there. I mean, you can talk about Facebook and Twitter, they're crowdsourcing platforms, right? But you've got to have this, and I believe, very uh, gated. So you've got to allow certain people in, so you keep it small and then you can start opening it up. But you've got to ask, and you're asking for something that's critical, which is time. And let's be clear, technology has given us the gift of time back. Let's be clear. COVID-19, if I look at this glass as half full, Abdullah, let's be clear, has given us time. Yep. How much time do we save from driving as an example? Okay, And that makes us, and how do we use that time? So I often ask the, in, in my classes specifically, if I'm giving you the gift of time back, how are you using it? And to the question that's being asked is, how do you bring them in? Is by showing them there's value for them to be part of this ecosystem. And that is a snowball. If there's no value and not constructed very nicely, this will fall down. You know, there's many of these forums that I belong to. And after a while, I also dwindle away. Sure. Because what is the value, right? And I've got to be able to feel that value, see that value. And South Africans, unfortunately, many times, we talk a lot and we do very little. Sure. Yeah. We must acknowledge that. I'm sorry to be harsh, but, you know, we must acknowledge that. Yeah. yeah. You know, I mean, uh, you know, in the series, one of our presenters spoke about the gift of the crisis. And, yeah. you know, it's really around time. time. You know, I found it's been incredible in terms of the amount of time I've saved uh, in terms of some of the things that often would yeah. take out my time in how reality was before and what I've been able to do as a consequence of that uh, and how you focus that time. Hmm. So Manoj, you've spoken about GDP and the fact that we're going into a very difficult period in terms of growth from a country perspective. One of the things we've also seen in this country and in many countries around the world is access to capital. And so the question from Takalani Mashamba is, you know, how do you find innovative ways for small businesses to access capital away from the dependence on large financial services institutions only? Are there other ways in which we could access capital as small businesses? Yeah, I think, you know, Abdullah, this was one, and I've had this conversation with you pre-COVID. Let's just call it pre-COVID as well. <laughs> Sakalani, it's such an important question to ask, and I think there is access to capital. Um, you know, it's Uprise.Africa is, is an example for me right now. That's, that's, a, that's, you know, almost venture capital run, but, you know, you, you they vet your project and you can go up and, and you can get cash and funding from there. So I think what, and, and that means that obviously if it gets funded that you're giving up some equity, but just have a look at Uprise Africa, the business model behind it, which I think is very important for me. Because that business model is actually, Abdullah, you and I putting in money to back a startup, right? So Takalani, it's no longer about the big institutions, no longer about everyone who's got deep pockets, lots of money. It's about the individual like Abdullah and I who can say, listen, I've got 10 rand to invest into this business. I'm going to crowdsource this here. So those platforms exist right now, right? And they're quite easy to get on. So an, exa an example is Uprise.Africa, right? And have a look at them because I think access to capital that way is also for me a very nice way to understand who's 
interested in my idea, <laughs> gives your market sensing before the access to the capital just comes and says, I want to develop this. You know, I've dealt with a lot of small businesses and, and also being a small business owner, successful and unsuccessful in, in, in many aspects, is that we often think, you know, that capital is the be all and end all. Mm. I think good ideas trump capital, the capital will come. But have a look at those websites, you know, like Africa, which I think there is alternative forms of that besides what we've seen out there. Um, there's this huge investment into South Africa, Sub-Saharan Africa and the African uh, continent broadly, you know, from, from the European and the US markets, because let's be clear, you know, a dollar or a euro goes a long way in the African sure. space. And, and we, if there's one thing we know about us on the African continent and in many emerging markets is that we solve real needs and we know how to do that very well. Yeah, 100%. We know that. So, so I want to end with one question by Tyron Willemser. Uh, and Tyron, I, I'm going I'm to end with your question because it's a question in the auto sector and Manoj knows that I love cars. Uh, and so Tyron asked the question, which I've also thought about long and hard, yeah. is South Africa has developed specific expertise in terms of working with OEMs to build uh, and to manufacture cars. Uh, and we see this uh, in the Eastern Cape, in Gauteng, in parts of KZN. Uh, his question is, isn't it time for us to be able to create a South African-owned manufacturing company that really builds South African uh, cars. Do you think that's something that's possible or is it too far out? You know, as, as you're asking the question, I'm asking what's stopping us? <laughs> what is stopping us? Sure. It's us, right? Elon Musk has just sent a, a, a thing into space right now. You know, it's these ideas, Tyrone. And my question is, again, is how do we get us all together on this now saying, let's do it. Let's not just think about these ideas. What is stopping us, Abdullah? You know, we've got to understand the depth of each ones, bring in the relevant stakeholders and do it. And this, for me, is really critical, is that I don't think it's not possible because when someone does do it, I've had many of these experiences. I thought about that five years ago. <laughs> what was the problem, Abdullah? I didn't do it. Yeah. And we are our worst, own worst enemies. Right now, you've been given back the gift of time. What are you doing with it? Yeah, lovely, 100%. I'm gonna, I want to end on that point, and Tyrone, I hope that uh, really gets you to think about what we can do in the auto sector. But I think it does speak to, and you spoke about the example of uh, Elon Musk. Uh, Elon Musk grew up here in South Africa, uh, 30 kilometers down the road in, in Tswane. And Elon Musk today, if you read his story, really went into the US with a limited amount of capital and, and really built uh, an organization that has been so successful in many different disciplines because there was no limitations. He was able to implement what he thought about. And so that's, I think, the challenge for all of us is, as we think about core competencies, as we think about our assets, as we think about where we're good at, and we look at this changing environment, uh, we've got to think about using your analogy, Manoj, the different ingredients that perhaps we need to put into that recipe to come out with perhaps a different output, that example of pivoting that comes together. So that uh, is where I want to end. I want to really thank you, Manoj, for you. Uh, putting on a, a jacket today, <laughs> for coming across to Gibbs and for spending some time with us. Uh, and I also want to thank all of you for you. spending the uh, 30 to 40 minutes with us for all of your very valued uh, inputs in terms of this conversation. Uh, I will announce next week who we think uh, had the most interesting question and we'll send the book across to you. But I also want to then invite you to next week's session uh, where we really further the series that we've put together. In between this week and next week, Wednesday at 1.30, if you've got any questions, please feel free to email smmehelp at gibbs.co.za. Uh, and so uh, I want to end by thanking JP Morgan for their partnership mm -hmm. with us at Gibbs and the Entrepreneurship Development Academy in putting the series together. 
And I want to thank all of you for spending the last few, few, uh, few sessions with us and obviously inviting you to the session next week. Thank you very much.